Hi, and welcome to the Saxophone Academy. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this week's episode, I chat with my co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about our favorite back-to-school equipment. We talk about stage fright, peak performance, and we also chat about military band auditions. This week, we also have the first installment of the Saxophone Book Club, and this week, we chat about The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway. And as always, if you have a question for the podcast, feel free to email me directly, wally at gatecitysax.com. Inbox is, is um, well, that's good. We don't have to have any answers then, Wally. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, I, back to school, Woo! a slight slump, back but they're, they're coming in. I just haven't had a chance to print them off. Yeah, but, um, that's good. But we do have some cool stuff to talk about today. I know, right? So, back to school. Yes. Are you going Yay. back to school? Yep, going back to school. Going to go listen to auditions for uh, oh, yeah. lessons and chamber music and wind symphony today at Duke University. It is Woo-hoo, audition season. Yep. Yeah, um, I'm excited to hear high, all the in high students. school and middle school kids are going, and yep. they're going to get their their chair placements. Yep, my That's high right. school daughter went to school this morning. My kids went to school this morning. Yeah, yeah. I I'll try not to cry. Um, uh, I know we'll miss them, but it's good. I know we now get I back get... into this this routine. It's a little hectic, but it's a good routine. It is, and it's a routine in which I can practice again. So I'm very happy. Yay! I practice this morning. Leisurely warm up still by Starlight in oh, twelve keys. It? Wow! Oh, twelve. All I had 12 time. Keys? I had time to just leisurely oh, play the melody me. real slow. Good in for all 12 you. Keys. It was great. Oh my god! Isn't that just great? Yeah. I good think for you. I was going to go for the fourteen keys, but um, oh, those other I two don't of, come up very often. I ran out of like. notes. You're right. <laughs> So speaking of auditions Woo! and stuff, that'll yeah. go nicely into our first uh, our first segment of the the saxophone book club. Uh, the because, saxophone book club, because Yay! the book that we'll, we'll talk about here a little bit later in the show, uh, it deals with performance anxiety, yeah. getting in the zone, and students left and right are experiencing stage oh, fright, yeah. performance anxiety, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, um, that'll be a big topic. And apropos. Yes. So by the time I post this podcast, you'll have already had your audition and this won't be helpful. But <laughs> it'll be way too late. But next semester, <laughs> it'll be helpful. And you'll know oh. why it went horribly, Johnny. Well, even for lessons. Oh, that's true. Playing for your teacher. My students say all the time, oh, I was doing this great at home and then I get here and I sound terrible <laughs> every that's time. That's true. I sound like Mike, Michael Bolton in the shower. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have laughed. I'm, I'm sure you do, Wally. Yeah. No, I do not. Um, one thing my daughter says consistently is, Daddy, please stop singing. <laughs> oh, jeez. So it is back to school season. We're going to talk about performance anxiety, stage fright, and the first book of the Saxophone Book Club, uh, which we'll get to, her, to in a minute. But I want to talk a little bit about my favorite part of back to school. What's your favorite part? My favorite part about back to school, and ever since I was a little kid, fresh notebooks. Oh. Fresh boxes of crayons. <gasps> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, pack of unopened notebook paper. Yes. Pins. Uh, a new backpack, yeah. Lunch boxes, right? Um, thermoses. I love new, the fresh, clean start oh, new of back to school, and your gear yeah. is all organized, and and there's not weird smells coming from your backpack yet. <laughs> if you're in elementary school, because you know you forgot that piece of fruit down in there. <laughs> Son, I'm talking to you. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, or see, like, what are your back to school must have essentials when you when you get ready to get organized, or you think about I'm starting the school year. What do you have to have in your case? What do you? What are your? What are your must-use tools? Well, I'm thinking more as a teacher. You know, I I make sure I have a, a fresh stock of like those folders that I use paper. What kind of folders <laughs> do you use? I just use some of those office folders. You know, the the tabs. They have the little oh, tabs, yeah. little 
what do you call them? Manila, vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> Millie Vanilli folders. Millie gotcha. Vanilli. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And everybody's got a folder and they've got their name written Aww. on it. And I make sure I print out any information I've received from the students with what repertoire they have played. And, you know, I make some notes about what I think we should work on this semester. And I just mm-hmm. kind of get my my brain going for each student as right. to what they need to work on and what they want to work on. And uh, fresh paper, fresh pens, yes. I love. Yeah. Do you have a favorite kind of, This is really nerdy. We're going to get... Someone's throwing <laughs> something at their car speakers right now. Shut up. Oh, my God. This yeah. is so boring. I know. I, lo- I love it. What's your What's your pen of choice for writing down saxophone assignments? Oh, goodness. Well, I don't know. I don't really have one. You know, every Shame. any particular brand, I don't know. I just... You know, there are those pens that, that you like better than others, not the ones that kind of glob up when you're yeah. writing, and not the ones that, you know, are too liquidy because, you know... They they run all over the place, so I don't know. Are you talking about a pen, or are you writing with it's pudding? You, it's usually some pen that I picked up at like the doctor's yeah, office okay. or an orthodontist office. Those are the usually, worst. No, they sometimes have a good pens though. You yeah, think so? yeah, okay. they're like the orthodontist had good pens. Is there a connection between the price it costs for braces yeah. and the price of the pens? There better be. <laughs> anyway, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, I've started using. Um, then I'll shut up about pens. The, the Parker <laughs> Jotter. Oh, that's um, always been one of my favorites. That was my twelve or fifteen dollars, yes. and that forces you to hang on to it. That was my dad's favorite pen. So pen. when I had to buy a pen when I was in college, that's yeah. what I would buy. I write that's my practice dad... notes in that. Oh, yeah. And then I yeah. use field notes, a little pack of field notes that I can stick in my case. I forgot. And then, about that. so when I'm having my morning coffee, I write get good. So I know what I'm working on next day. <laughs> oh, and lots of post-its. I always bring new post-its oh, okay. <laughs> with Post- me. And yeah, I always have to have reads with me because the students inevitably will come in with a terrible read. And I'm that teacher oh. who will hand them a read because I just can't stand listening to them on a bad read. <laughs> oh, I know. When I, was a, when I was a middle school band director a million years ago, I had those giant, um, those huge long boxes of Ricos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a giant box of 2.5. And yep. it was great. Yep. There you and, go. Yeah. So reads, fresh batteries in your in your tuner and, and metronome. <laughs> now, do you use um, an actual separate tuner? You know, I have one of those cheapo tuner metronome combos. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't use my phone. And here's the reason I don't mm. use my phone. I have the apps on my phone, but the thing is that I don't know, you know, if I turn a page too quickly or if I'm rustling around with my music, I was using my phone for a short while and I dropped it on the floor twice within a week. And I said, okay, not using my phone for a metronome tuner because I keep it on my stand while I'm practicing. It's right right there. So I have this cheapo. What is the brand, Wally, that I'm I'm not thinking of? Seiko. Yes. Yeah. Seiko makes excellent quartz metronomes. Yeah. And they also pioneered the quartz wristwatch. Oh, which you, which oh, put yeah, the Swiss sure. watchmakers into serious trouble because they were automatic yeah. um, movements. Right. Um, then then Seiko made the the quartz cheap and available, and they right. called it in the watch industry the quartz crisis of the 1970s. There um, you go. So then Seiko branched out and started making metronomes as well, and they're fantastic. So yeah, they're great and they're cheap. They are. I you can abs- get that combo metronome tuner. It's I don't know twenty twenty five bucks. Yeah. And if you drop it on the floor, which I have many times, it hasn't broken yet <laughs> i have dropped my seiko metronome uh i like the one with the dial i don't i use have the combo. that too i have both of them yeah i have to have the one with the dial because it's louder so, it's, and it's so easy yeah it's, and got it's a so nice easy list. but i have the other one for the tuner <laughs> well that's pretty good wally that's not a no, tuner no, that's actually wally that's making the noise yeah wow i uh i do a very good seiko <laughs> h472 uh impersonation i'll do a full review video on the metronome uh, just, 
<laughs> so I have to have that Seiko metronome because one, I like changing the, the tempo quickly by not pressing yeah. buttons by the dial. Yeah. And two, it's incredibly durable. I've dropped it off my stands, I think at least 3,472 times. Yeah, and it's still and in it's, one piece. It splits in half. <laughs> the nine volt dangles out. Yes. <laughs> and I pop it right back together and it sounds just yeah. as good. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, I don't use um, the phone for tuner or metronome for a couple reasons. Okay. Number one, like I said, it's not loud enough. And the second one is a very uh, robust sounding instrument. Uh, and number two, I've gotten to the point where I am not disciplined enough to hold my phone and not look at notifications. Oh, now you can turn them off. I see. Yeah, that's another problem. The You're problem right, is so, yeah. like, if I yeah. open the app, I might mm, see that little badge to yes. let me know some student has emailed me something stupid. If I didn't get fired for it, I would read some of the emails I've already gotten this semester. They're mind blowing. Yeah. Of the, okay. I, I just missed the first week of class. Stop! Stop! Yeah. <laughs> I'll shut up. Um, Did I miss anything? My favorite remark when I was doing classroom teaching music theory would be like when a kid would come up the next day and say, "I missed class. Did I miss anything?" It's like. like well, yeah, you missed class. No, you just watch <laughs> cat videos, Johnny. You know, you, did you miss I can't anything? Stand that. Yeah. Did I miss anything? I mean, I know what they mean. They mean, you know, what did I miss? But I they would say, did I miss anything? Oh, no, we don't do anything in yeah. this class. Nope. In fact, why are you here we're, today? We were waiting on you, Johnny. <laughs> we were just sitting around oh, sobbing and hand wringing. Happy back to school. Yeah, yeah. So the, the metronome, but I don't use the phone because I, I'm getting away from digital distractions. Yeah. And yeah. you can remember to put your phone in airplane mode, but I find there's this muscle memory. And dear listener out there, I bet you've experienced <laughs> this. You pick up your phone to open your metronome or your tuner. You close it as you're getting back to your practice session or whatever, or you change apps, and your thumb just kind of hits the email app. Yeah. Or your thumb just kind of hits the <laughs> Facebook app. Right. Or you notice a badge on your text messages. And, oh, God, you can't ignore it. are those. you going to ignore a text message and go no. back to your tuner app or no. switch between your tuner? No, no, it's nearly impossible. We're no. so trained by these technology companies yeah. um, to get these little dopamine hits. It's like yeah. gambling. Uh, so I actually have I've given up using any smartphone apps. Wow. Um, yeah. I still transcribe on my iPad just because I don't have the muscle memory habit of opening up apps on my iPad. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I really like... And I'll put a, a link to the, the, the wonderful, cheap, impossibly durable... Seiko metronome. These are great. Yeah, and they really do and work. They are so cheap. Yeah. yeah. What are what are the other your must must have back to school items for students? For students, well, I like it if they have some decent reads. That's a good thing. Definitely have more reads than you think. <laughs> and also um, have have the actual printed music for at least one, preferably two or three pieces that you're going to work on this yeah. semester in hand. Of course, it's too late to be saying that. August, whatever it's going to be, or September. Yeah, this but, will go out in September. Yeah, but you can order it today. So if you're, you know, if you if you know a couple of the pieces you're going to work on, mm-hmm. definitely bring the music. Um, a notebook is nice, so I don't have to wonder if you're going to remember what we you were assigned. <laughs> I and we talked about this in a previous episode about being a good student. I yeah. definitely think you should bring a notebook, whether you think you need one or not. Yeah. Um, I might say something you you think is worth writing down. <laughs> Didn't blow your mind like <laughs> like students will go to like I'm not gonna name the university but a very well known music university big state school somewhere up north near some lakes and named after it <laughs> and you'll pay eighty grand for an undergraduate degree and yet some students will go into their lessons like eh, I won't bring a notebook right like, you know, I'll pay eighty grand for these saxophone lessons but I'm not gonna write it <laughs> you down you should take a notebook and maybe write some yeah, stuff down e- either during the lesson or you know right after the lesson or something like yeah. that if you can but you should write down your assignment at least yeah do you have a particular <laughs> read case that you love um I use these Van Doren read cases because they fit in my saxophone the case four pack 
uh, there's six for the alto, there's eight for the soprano, oh. but you, I think you use one that has 10 reeds. Uh-huh. If I could fit that in my case, that it's would be a, my it's favorite. It's a close, I use a BAM case, soft pack. I don't know, it's not yeah. softest, but yeah. I use the BAM case and it barely fits, it's a tight squeeze. Yeah, I've got this form-fitted Walt Johnson right. slash it doesn't summer. Even, it doesn't even fit yeah. your saxophone, you have to carry barely, your saxophone next to the case. Barely, I can, I can <laughs> barely <laughs> squeeze in that, that six right. pack of, of alto reeds. My cork grease has to go down underneath behind that. Oh, geez. And I put my mouthpiece in and the, you know, the, the neck and the neck strap go in the bell and the swab you have to roll up and stick in between the bell and the body of the instrument. There's no room for any it's stuff like in that a, case. A cheat sheet. But yeah, you know, it's... remember I ordered that um, Marcus, oh, Marcus Bonacase. Bonacase. It has not come in yet, but I'm looking forward to that because I think I'm going to have more room for stuff. You will. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of uh, Sue's back to school gear, you're obviously still a fan, still using the pink gold Bandoran MO ligature. Of ligature. course, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we pink, haven't mentioned that in a while. I feel bad. <laughs> well, I was sitting having my morning coffee thinking about just stuff. Yeah. Just enjoying the weather. And a saxophonist came up to talk to me, which just ruins my morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, excellent young young student by the name of I'll give a shout out Tucker Daniel. Tucker, a very fine saxophonist, good very guy. He took my uh, career development course a while ago. He's a pain in the butt, but he's a good kid. <laughs> I kid, he's awesome. And he bought a pink mo. He did. Does he, he did. like it? I don't know. I didn't think to ask. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I said, Tucker, I'm having coffee. Please go away. Quit talking about liquor. I'm kidding. Yes, yes. And he had great. a great yeah, summer. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. Yeah. All those mo ligatures are fantastic. <laughs> but you know. I will find the 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 reed case you're talking about. I'll put a link to the one I use too. I okay. use a tin pack because I break in tin reeds at a time. Oh, right, yeah. And the Protex are dirt cheap, but I'm not I'm not a humidity control person. No, nor am I. Oh. No. We're, this is the Van Doren case. It's just it just holds the reeds. There's none of that charcoal. Is it stuff. on the on the like the flat glass thing? Um no, it's plastic. There's a I'll have to bring it in and show bring it, it in. to you. Yeah, I'll yeah. put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, so kids go get your school supplies. Actually, yep. by the time we post this, uh, it's a too reed late. case would be a good thing. Actually, you yeah. know, have a reed case, have some reeds. Make sure you have cork grease. Make sure your swab isn't worn out. Make sure your mouthpiece is okay. Just make sure you got all the stuff you and, need to hit the ground and running. And if you have a, sh- a, a shove it or a pad saver, those little fuzzy things oh, you no, stick down, no, throw those away. <laughs> yeah, shove those in the trash. <laughs> right. So it looks like an end cap with a muppet attached. Is how they look. Yeah. So it looks like someone like ground up Grover. <laughs> put them into a cylinder and put it on the end of an end cap and you shove the whole thing on your saxophone the thinking being that swabs out your instrument and keeps well, the well it's supposed to absorb the moisture yeah. but what it does is let these little bits of well first of all holds the moisture, moisture in. in your saxophone and second of all these little strings get in the in the tone holes over uh-huh. the tone holes between the pads and the, the instrument repair folks have a heart attack yeah. every time they see yeah. your. So those horn. things are useless and terrible. And need to go away. Yeah, I'm so, sorry to those of you who. Excuse make those. Well, let me well, let me clarify. You make something Our, else. Uh, the Saxophone Academy podcast attorney has just signaled to me. Um, Larry, what's that? Okay, let me clarify. In my opinion, <laughs> I don't think those things are worthwhile, and I don't recommend them. Well, not as saxophone swabs. You might find something else you can yeah. do with them. But I'm I'm saying now it's my opinion. I don't like those products. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I'm not saying they're, they're not bad. We just don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> what you can say legally is, I don't think those are a good idea for the second. In my experience, I don't like them. But you can't say they ruin your pads because then you're in, you know, legal, oh, legal I trouble. see. Okay. So I didn't say that. You didn't say so that. If you Nobody the, heard if that. If you are that company that makes uh, slender ground up Muppets to stick in saxophones, <laughs> don't sue me because I'm just saying it's my opinion. I don't like your product. It's just our opinion. Yeah. Um, back to school. Now we also have yeah. the back to school book club. Yeah. No, nope. no, Sue, what have we been reading this week? So we've been reading The Inner Game of Tennis. By W. Timothy Galway. Inner Game Galway. of Tennis. Why would we read a book about tennis? This is Sue? a really, really old book. 
It is. It's a very famous old book. 1974 is the copyright on this thing. The Most book? of the people listening aren't even weren't even born. Ah, then. This is going to blow your mind. This book is slightly older than me. That's amazing. I know. Wow. Especially given how old I look. Yeah. Wow. Um, so why are we talking about a book about, and I'm sure you, like me, you've heard this book recommended a million times. Yeah, it's been recommended a, a million times, but you know, I'm awfully glad that you brought it up a couple of weeks ago when we met because I've never read it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I've never read it. I've heard about it. I've read um, Zen and the Art of Archery, oh, that's a which good was one. a book that was required reading freshman year of college. Which we should talk about another time. Yes, I, I think but, let's make that one of our... Yeah, so this one, you know, I have to admit, I didn't get through the whole book before today, so I'm going to ask you if I can borrow it for another of week, because it's been great. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah, this so, is great. Why are people recommending a book about tennis? Well, because it's a performance. It's also a performance like playing music. Right. Yeah, you have to do something... You have to do something with your body to produce some results. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that, that I'm taking away from the book so far, which is what, what I thought the book was about. So that's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> but it's really it's My really backhand a good has really improved, yeah. Is the basic idea so far that I'm I'm getting from the book is to stop being judgmental. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds judgmental, but <laughs> if you can stop yourself from from judging, you know, like, oh, you're doing this or micromanaging. You give me right. thing like that, like turn your racket like this or do this. So when you're teaching, you know, you've had teachers like, well, do this with your teeth and do this with your lips and do this with your jaw. And of course, as a teacher, we sometimes do that. Right. Do this with your fingers and yep. do this to do this. Instead of getting the student or yourself to focus on what you want the outcome to be, you know, it's right. this little running commentary. Oh, I did this or I did this or I did this. And, and Galway defines this, and I'm not in love with the way he defines it, but it makes sense, is self one and self two. Yeah. Self one is the critical conscious mind that says, Wally, your tone's bad. Wally, you need to use more pressure. Wally, back off. Wally, you're sharp. Wally, you're flat. This is where you mess up every time. Wally, move and your you're tongue really up higher. Exactly. This, That's yeah. self one, the critical <laughs> self. The conscious, and it's basically he defines self one as I basically the conscious mind, yeah, um, and, or and which or is and the ego is the involved ego, in as yeah, well, yeah. and so it's the self one that we are trying to quiet because it gets in the way of what he calls self two, which is basically everything else, which is really just your innate ability to perform that yeah. childlike quality. The doer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have to uh, tell a, a baby like, hey, okay, now when you're learning to walk. Uh, put 20% of your pressure on the back right. heel, roll forward, move your sacroiliac joint forward while you lean forward. You know, yeah. you just, the child sees it and they mimic and they do. Yeah. And um, the self too is the childlike ability to just perform and do. Right. So his entire thesis is our biggest problems in performance come with self one getting in the way of what self two can just do naturally. Yeah. Have you found that to be your experience? Yeah, you know, that that little, I, I often will refer to it as the devil sitting on your shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, over here saying, oh, you're not very good at this, or this is where you mess up, or you go too yeah. fast here, you go too slow here, or your tonguing is terrible, you know. And if you can shut that little devil up or or, right. or get him off your shoulder, you do a lot better. And and uh, a lot of times teaching um, for me is is a lot about getting the students to just stop beating up on themselves. Right. 
oh my gosh, some of the kids are, they're just so hard on themselves that you almost can't say anything because they're already all over it. Right. Beating themselves up. You and know? not celebrating the victories they should. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if you can get the person to be comfortable and feel a little bit more confident mm-hmm. and for them to also understand we're all on, we're all on a continuum, right? Uh-huh. So you start out, you can't do it at all. Right. And then, you know, every time you learn how to do something, you get, you get a little further along this continuum. Yes. And we're all there. We're all still on it. Nobody's perfect and nobody's finished. Right. You know, until they're not here anymore, I guess. But as long as you're still here playing the saxophone, you're still developing, you're still learning, you're still getting better. So instead of, you know, saying, oh, I'm so bad and that person's so much better and oh, oh I'll never be able to play that piece. You know, if you just realize that you're, you're on this continuum and you're moving yeah. along it. And, you know, we ebb and flow a little bit. So, I'm, you know, there's sometimes it does feel like it's two steps forward and a, and a step back yeah. with progress. And that's totally normal. I agree. Uh, which um, I think we should make um, Zen and the Art of Archery our next book. Yeah, so let's do it. that. Okay, so I haven't read it in like 30 years. So I want to read it again. Read it. And I have a copy <laughs> floating around my house somewhere. So, right. so kids, listen up. The, the next Sex One Book Club will be Zen and the Art of Archery. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes. Love that book. Yeah. I'm excited to read it again. So this book, Timothy Galloway talks about, basically his, his entire book is about defining self one, how it gets in the way of self two, your innate ability to perform. Yeah. I experienced this a couple times. When I was a kid, uh, my parents were getting into golf. And I would take those little practice golf balls, you know, little wiffle balls and clubs, and I would just kind of like look at what you know the golfers would do. And I was swinging, and I was hitting these little like par three shots across my yard, and yeah. it was great. And my parents were like, oh, he's got some ability. So obviously we need to get him. Lessons. Oh no! I could not <laughs> hit a golf ball after that. To say. I was getting these beautiful swings, and the ball was arcing straight and true and beautiful across and over the yeah. house. And they got me lessons, and and the well-meaning instructor. Yeah. All right, good. So square your square your hips. Yeah. Uh, when you come up, you want uh, here's your grip, and here you want the club look up, club face facing here. Picture pinching the club face between blah blah, blah and it gave all these well-meaning analogies and instructions and things to focus and think on. And then I just shanked the club right into the ground and right. like hurt my elbow, right? Because it's so much thought. And then recently, I've started doing taekwondo with my son. Oh. I'm having a blast. It's really really fun. Cool. Um, and I did it in college, so I still had some kind of muscle memory. And uh, I was, you know, we we're getting out the pads and stuff like that. I was, I was getting pretty good at the roundhouse kick, and I was yeah. smacking the pads. And I could see the instructor's like, "Wow, he's, wow, I got some power behind that. Good job, Wally." And as any good instructor, well, of course, my job is to make it better. Right. So, all right, good. Now make sure you pivot your hip forward so you're you get increased power through the hip pivot. And of course, myself one is okay, Wally. Remember the hip pivot. And remember that your heel yep. should be facing the. And then I, um, bad. Yeah, because you start focusing on what's not working, what you're not doing right, or what you're supposed to be doing, instead of just visualizing the thing that you want to be the outcome. Visualizing the outcome. Yes. And reading this book again, I didn't love this book the first time I read it. I was like, self one, self two, what? How can I quiet self one? And then reading through this time as an older, wiser person, I realized the whole point is to quiet self one by focusing on something else. Right. The outcome. So what is, have you gotten to the point where Timothy Galloway talks about what to focus on? Just getting to that. And but it, yeah. before he even gets to that, I this morning when I was looking at this, I was thinking about um, my strategy over the years has been to sing the music in my head while yes. I'm playing as a way of occupying my mind so that I you can't give, talk. You give self one a task. <laughs> Yeah, self one's got to sing. Yeah, it's like if you're in the, if you're a classroom <laughs> teacher and one of your students is a nightmare, 
oh my goodness, I need you to color this picture of Iron Man. You give them something <laughs> to, to do, because that's right. what they need is something to do. So Galway says, a couple things he does is, one, have the students focus on the um, the seams of the ball. I think that's what it's called, or the stitching. Yeah, yeah. So actually, as the ball is coming at you, look at the pattern of the seams and how they're spinning. So that's, you give yourself one a task, that critical yeah, mind. So, so they can't be thinking, okay, don't forget, you've got to do this with your elbow, you've got to do this with your elbow, blah, swing blah, into blah, it, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so you're literally just trying to notice where the seams are on the ball and if they're spinning or twisting or what their pattern is. Yeah. And then once, if uh, beyond that, he has this, this game where he says, um, bounce, hit. So basically, as the ball's coming over the court, and this relates to music, if you haven't picked yeah. up this analogy yet, yeah, folks. Right. <laughs> um, when the ball is about to bounce, you say in your mind, you try to sync up perfectly with um, the ball bouncing in your mind, you say, bounce. And you say silent to yourself, hit, when you right. think it's going to hit the face of your racket. And that game occupies that, yeah. that self one. And so by singing to yourself while you're playing, you're yeah, doing the, the same it's thing. It's my inner game. Yeah. Yeah. The inner game the of inner Sue. inner game. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I, and he had a really nice analogy because we don't mean to say that you should pick up the saxophone and you're going to just play like Marcel Mule because you're going to visualize that. Mm -hmm. But what, what we're saying and what, what the author of this book is saying, you're going to be a lot closer to that. If you stop micromanaging every little detail and beating right. yourself up when a finger doesn't go to the right place or something like that. Right. I mean, just, just, um, can, you know, think about that continuum. And he, he has this wonder, wonderful analogy where he talks about planting a seed. Yeah. So you don't criticize the flower when you plant it, that it isn't a flower yet, or it's yeah. not even a plant yet. You, you, Lazy you seed. bad seed, yeah. you're nothing. And you take care of it and you water it and you watch it grow and develop. And it doesn't have any flowers. You don't criticize it that it doesn't have any flowers when it just starts sprouting up out of the ground, right? right? And then you admire it for sprouting up. And isn't that miraculous? It is. Look, and then it gets buds and you're like, wow, that's really cool. It's got buds. You know, look at the growth. Look at the progress. And you don't think, well, it doesn't have any flowers. This thing's ugly, you know? Right. <laughs> and I think, I thought that was a really beautiful analogy. I do actually. love you. Just yeah. let it, yeah, let it happen. Don't force. And even if you did criticize it and yell at it and judge it, it's not going to bloom any faster. No. No, then you, this, the flower needs a therapist. And so don't yeah, do it. And you do need to notice, you need to notice what is going on. So you need to, you know, listen to what you're doing. And here... Okay, I, I, you know, notice it, but in a non-judgmental way. So, okay, that's sloppy. So when I have sloppy technique between, say, like an F and a B, because I got to move those three fingers together. I've never had that. I don't know. What I'm you're sure talking about. you haven't, but never. some of us have that yeah. problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't have to, to go. You. Oh yeah. my God, no, my course. technique yeah. is so terrible. It's sloppy. I just, I, I notice what is, right, and then I think about what I want it to be. And then I repeat it a few times when I've got it, what it wants to be. Oh, yeah, and see what that feels like. But don't do it in a judgmental way. Yeah. And, and you have get, to change your thinking. And if you get frustrated, like, oh, it's not happening, and you'll try harder, you'll get tension. It gets worse. Instead of just like, hey, I wonder what's happening here. Oh, yeah, my ring finger, that G, is not coming down and just at the same it. time as the first yeah. finger on the other hand. And yeah. you notice the problem when you're not too busy beating yourself up. Yeah, and don't beat yourself up about it. And don't yeah. imagine for a minute that you're the first person who's a really advanced saxophonist who's had that problem. No. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. the other thing I always say to students. They'll say, oh, I practice this lick for hours and I still can't play it. And I said, well, you realize everybody who's played this piece has practiced that lick for hours right. and hours and hours and hours and might miss it Yeah, in a gig even. It yeah. could happen. But, you know, so... You got to, you know, you can see what the situation is without judging it. Right. 
And is that noticing you can actually fix it better? Just, you know, just yeah. getting freaked out or yeah. just beat up or just doing it again and again in frustration. And that's my, I will fully admit, that's my natural inclination. Say I had that, that little bit up. Yep. Blip that you're talking about going yep. from B to F. I call them blips. Yep, blips. exactly. And I would get frustrated doing it again and again and again until I get fatigued, ruin a practice session because yep. it's my, you're like, oh, oh, you think you're going to mess with me? And then I get, put my metronome slower and I work harder. And, right. And I'm not noticing what the issue is. Right. Um, you're right. That, and that, then if it, you know, if it persists, if you're trying to fix it and it just keeps being bad, well, for God's sakes, don't sit there for an hour playing it yeah. with a bad blip because guess what? The muscles are learning the blip, the blip. It's yeah. going to become the technique. Yeah. yeah. So go do something else. Come back to it or change how you're practicing. I think that's true in practice anyway. Just yeah. if something's not working, stop doing it and do something else. Right. You know, approach it from a different angle. And that's where I think as a teacher, I could help a little bit because, you know, if a person's like, well, I'm trying to do this and it keeps making this mistake. Okay, well, let's see. Let's try, what if we try starting from above? Or what if we try like one note at a time or moving one finger at a time and just try some other way of approaching it? You right. know, and after years of experience of trying to make up these things yourself, you know, right. you have a few tricks up your sleeve. I think we, we've talked about rhythmic hacking. Yeah. I will sometimes do rhythmic hacking with that problem. Yes. And I think maybe part of the reason I used to always say it was voodoo, but after reading this book again, is maybe part of the reason rhythmic hacking works when learning technique is that in order to do the rhythm correctly, you're quieting yourself one that was focused on the technique. Because uh, you're thinking about something It else. gives you something else to focus on. Yeah. Um, I think that might be part of the magic of that. There's also a, a pretty big, it is an older book, and there is, I mean, there's a few tennis analogies that don't, you know, there's a little bit of talk about grip and racket and stuff right, like that. Right, sure. But I don't think so much that it takes away from this book. No. Um, it is a little older, 1970s. Whenever he says, I was teaching a class, he always makes it very clear if it's a class of women. Yeah, when or you're a just, class of men. Or, I was yeah. teaching a class of women, and <laughs> we're very excited to learn, you know, and yeah. it's like a little bit like, he just say students, Tim? Yeah. But <laughs> it was a 1970s where he made it very clearly, you know, the, the gender that he's teaching. But, you know, I, other than that, I think it holds up really well. When it kind of makes me want to go try playing tennis again, to be honest with you, because I've played a little bit in the past, but then I'm always like upset that I'm so bad. Right. Oh, and now I'm like, wait a minute. So if I would take my own advice and think of myself right. on a continuum, so I'm a beginner. So of course I'm going to miss a shot once in a while for crying out loud. <laughs> and there's, um, let's see if I can find it. There's a part where he talks about the different games people play in, um, like the, the reason people play tennis and how that hurts. So he t- talks about um, the sub game, perfecto, meaning some people play to be perfect, to be the absolute uh, yeah. best. And talks about the obstacles. It's never closing the gap, feeling like uh, you're not having good abilities, internal, you have a lot of self-criticism. He calls about another sub-game people play, Compete-O. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're always trying to be better than other people, be well thought of. And he talks about how that is problematic. Uh, Status-O, Image-O, uh, these different games he, he <laughs> yeah, calls. Do you look good when you're playing? Right. Are you keeping up with the Joneses? <laughs> right. And the internal, you have a fear of leaving your social position. Togetherness-O, which is a better reason to play. Which That's is, a better reason. It is. And we do that a lot of times to... You know, for the social aspect, uh, husband wife O is a game. These I don't know why it adds the O to the games. <laughs> um, but then some of the better games are the health O and fun O. There you go. Um, we play tennis to get better health, and he talks about how those are better reasons. And naturally, you're going to get kind of better faster if you're not playing to be better than someone. But you're just, relaxed and enjoying the game. Yeah, just relax and enjoy the game. And you know, for the most part, you know, we should try to do that more. Yeah. With the saxophone playing, you know, and if we would think of ourselves more as servants 
of the music. Yes. Unless, oh, you know, some I've got to judge myself because somebody else is going to judge me or I've got to play better than that person and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Or I've got to play a piece that's louder or faster or more impressive. I'm really tired of the got to play a piece that's harder thing in this album. It's getting world. old. And when you think about and, like the, oh, I think God, the, the best-selling jazz album of all time consistently year after year is Miles Davis. So kind of blue oh yeah and right. yeah, i wonder- specifically tried not to be a pyrotechnician well yeah, yeah and it's just it's so chill it's so cool and it's the space between the notes yeah and it was why it's such a pleasure to listen to i no wonder could a player like miles davis in that period of his time would he ever be noticed today or would the uh, instagram culture of higher faster louder trying to be better than everyone else be like oh the guy didn't know the chops yeah i, 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 I hope there's yeah. more room for just great music yeah um, yeah. Which, because today, I think, especially social media has made this, we're playing the compete-o game, as Timothy Galway would say in this much. book. yeah. Yeah, rather than just art-o. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. name that game. Art-o. Well, <laughs> Fulfillment-o. Yep. Exactly. I still don't know why he adds the O to the end of the different sub-games, but... <laughs> maybe I missed the sentence where cute. he explains it. It is cute. <laughs> uh, I recommend the book. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Um, you think it's a good, good oh, read? Oh, I think it's a good read. I, you know... Written in 1974, and it still has lots of really great stuff in it that yeah. hits you right square in the forehead. It's like, oh, whoops, yeah, I do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, um, I think definitely worth. If reading. I had one takeaway then to transfer to music, I think Sue's recommendation of singing along in your head while you're it playing. It helps me I, when I get that I think chatter that is the going. Single most useful thing any musician can do is audiate, picture it in your mind yeah. while yeah. you're playing it, and then you have the goal. Then you're not thinking about the the mouth, the tongue, the fingers. You, yeah. you have that goal, and let, just trust your trust your darn body to do it. Yeah, you know, Fred Hemke's teaching t- was mostly focused on the musical line and mm-hmm. phrasing and expression. He really almost never talked about technical things. Mm-hmm. And I think that was all about this. Yeah. Getting you to think about the musical line and say something expressively, and you'd be surprised how suddenly the tone would be better because you were listening to the phrase. You or the tuning no. would be better. Or the technique would be better just because you were thinking about the music the and not phrase. thinking about your saxophone playing. Yeah, or worrying about that that lick coming up and make sure yeah. you use your side key or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. I'll go put a link the in the show notes. Yeah. Read it uh, for next time, which was in, in the yeah, art of let's archery. let's do it. Uh, so that's we're starting a with nice two. little book. It's, it's a short read. It's shorter than Inner Game of Tennis. Um, um, and, oh, it's interesting. Neither of these are saxophone books yet. Nope. We will get to some more saxophone-specific oh, yeah. books. There are but some. These are yep. two of our absolute favorite Absolutely. Yeah. So get to reading. Yay. The more you know. <laughs> now, back on, to school. <laughs> now, on that subject, coming up on auditions, outside Ooh. of the inner game of tennis, um, stage fright, I find to be mm. one of the biggest problems with music majors. Yeah. Or any pro. Um, and I joke, because I, I, I get students that are in their fourth year of performance degrees in my yeah. career development course, and I ask students, raise your hand if by the end of this fourth year, you really don't want to be a performer anymore. And the number of kids that raise their hand is... Well, young adults that are raising yeah. is really sad. There's a lot. So a lot of them. Um, and so I thought like about 21 it. Twenty one year olds who have invested almost four years and in a, a lot of money. Music and they've degree. learned that they or they think they don't love performing. And I thought about it. Gotcha. And, and if, if if an evil genius said, Wally, I want to take music off the face of the earth. I want to ruin all performers <laughs> for performance. Here's millions of dollars, how would you do it? And I'd say, well, I would design a system where I'd make it feel really high-pressured every time they played. I'd make it highly competitive to suck the joy out of it. (laughs) I'd have them do it just seldom enough and under high-pressure situations that I would set them up for failure. And then I would grade them and make them do all their short 
awkward performances in front of their peers. You know, <laughs> I would design the modern school of music <laughs> exactly. if I wanted to make someone hate performing. And it's not an evil conspiracy. No, it's just, of course not. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the European model, but the European model, you play your lesson in front of other students. You're Every constantly, week you're you're constantly getting your over peers, performance yeah. anxiety. Um, yeah. Here, we like, you study, 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 work your tail off, and then you play it once in a blue moon. Studio recital. So if you're a high yeah. school or middle school student, uh, you do it once in a blue moon for your chair test or for Allstate. Yeah. If you're a college student, you do it once in a blue moon in your repertoire class uh, or once in a blue moon on your recital. Right. And it's happened so seldom, I don't see how you could not have a terrible stage fright. Yeah. Um, it would be, right. and you think, you can read these books, you can read or watch TED Talks, but for me, it's always kind of like, if you don't do it often, intellectual knowledge won't help. It's right. like the first time you drove on a highway, the first time you drive your car on I-85, yeah. if you live in the, in the Southeast. It's you know, still terrifying. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't love it. No. <laughs> but like, you know, the first time you do it, it's... Oh, I can't even imagine It's that. just horrifying. You know, cars yeah. are whizzing by. You're going... You have to go yeah. 70 miles per hour to keep up with the traffic. There's semi-trailers, people merging, people stopping. Oh, yeah. and Nobody signals anything. Nobody <laughs> signals. And your heart is racing. You're terrified. And your driver instructor is telling you, yeah, make sure you're checking your mirrors. Right. And it's horrifying. <laughs> and... Over the years, it becomes less horrifying, where I'm yeah. somewhat relaxed doing it. But I don't think I could have read a book about highway driving and then get on 85 like, oh, I read a, I read Wally's Inner Game of Driving. So now I'm, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> no problem. Look at you, semi, cutting me off. No problem. I remember yeah. Chapter 7 told me to. It's one of those things where you have to train your nervous system to not be afraid of it. Yeah. You have to expose it over and over and over and over again to not have these horrible release of fear chemicals. Yep. So I'm curious, what do you do to get over... Do you, well, here's the thing I want to. I'm thinking of is when I haven't performed for a while. If it's been a while since my last concert, uh -huh. um, what I found over the years is still the first time I'm back on stage after I haven't been there in a while, I get more nervous than normal. Yes, and yeah. it is exactly there's some kind of ritual or routine um, that you get into where your body gets used to being in that stressful situation and the chemicals or whatever is going on. It's easier if you do it more often. Yeah. You know, when you're performing often, somehow it's just, it's just not as scary, but here's, here's what I think is kind of a, you know, simple answer. That's not going to help you if you want some kind of magic wand. No, I want magic just, wand. You want the magic wand? Well, okay. Yeah. Um, eat a banana before... No, I'm kidding. No, we're going to talk about that. No, no, no. That'll be a different, no, different, no. different topic. You yeah. have to try to be... Well, try to. Be as prepared as possible. Right, confidence. Because, so, yes, exactly. If you go on stage and you're confident that I've been playing this great, I've been playing it great in my practice, practice room, I've been playing it great in front of my teacher... Whatever, you're going to go out, uh, my accompanist and I have been rehearsing, everything's been going fine, mm -hmm. you're going to be fine. You'll get more nervous out on stage, and some weird things will happen that didn't happen in rehearsal. Right. But, you know, you should, if you're, if you're as prepared as possible, you just go out there knowing, well, I did everything I could, and this is what it is. Yeah. And just, just go out there and, and think about the music and, and play the music. So that's the, the best advice I can give to anybody, including myself, is just to be prepared. The times when I get nervous or when I know I'm not really ready or I still can't play this piece. And right. Oof, that's scary. Yeah. I also find that um, in classical music, having done a lot of work of making myself nervous in both genres, um, <laughs> if I'm really nervous when playing classical music but I've done the preparation, 
there will be a, a backslide in quality. In, uh, you know, it's never mm. as, as good as when it's relaxed, but I will get through it. The muscle memory yeah. will take over and yeah. you'll still get through it if you're truly prepared. Yeah. When improvising in jazz, I find if I'm really tense and scared, it gets much worse because oh, there's no, yeah, you're, yeah. unless you've just practiced nothing but regurgitating licks, which some players do, frankly, but that's right. not improvising. Right. Then the mind is glided to the point where it's not good. And oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Playing nervous when tru- truly improvising, not just plugging in hot licks, you know, yeah. David Baker number nine over this chord change, um, I find much more difficult. And I think the, the actually um, the audiating, the inner voice singing is even more helpful yes. in those situations. So if you can just imagine what you would sing over those changes yeah. and just try to make that happen. I think for jazz, it's probably even more useful. It is. It but, is. I and mean, also just, if you can get yourself yeah. to just to sing something and try to match it, because you then, know the changes by the time you get there. Well, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's interesting. Is like if you forget what you're doing in classical music, um, you can still look at the page, unless you're playing a concerto. Right, um, but in jazz, if, if you're you playing without yeah. the music. Um, yeah. And I will say in there, for me, no matter what mental trick or whatever, I just had to do it more. I had yeah. to train my nervous system that this is okay. Yeah. I can fall on my face and uh, the rhythm section, the guitar player will look like, all right, I got this. It'll take over if I get lost in the changes. Yeah, right. Um, most of the time, general audiences aren't that much the wiser. Um, right. And I had to train my nervous system that like, I will fall, I will stumble, I will sound bad. It's okay. Yeah. It, you don't die. The people that love you still love you. The people that hate right. you still hate you. Right, doesn't matter. Um, and so I had a, I had a, a mentor um, that basically really encouraged me, like, yes, well, you've got a lot of technique in this and the other. Intellectually, you know a lot of this, but it's not going to come together unless you start doing a weekly gig where you go play several advice. hours of improvised music. Um, and and I thought, like, oh, God, that sounds scary. Yeah. Um, but that made big differences. No doubt. Just doing it again and again and again. So I had to go, you know, find a coffee shop that would do it, find some other musicians, and go play a couple hours every week for months in front of people. In front of people. Yeah. Um, and occasionally, right occasionally, friends of mine, well-meaning friends, the jackasses, that would, <laughs> that would like really talented jazz musicians would come to support me. And then I would feel like yeah. the, the nervousness creep in. Yeah, yeah. And things like that. Because then I'm playing the compete-o game. Right, sure. Uh, in the words of Timothy Galway, that I want to impress. And then yeah. you never make good music when you're trying to impress one. No. I don't think. No, and the thing I think we have to also remember is, you know, when you're on stage, you're like, oh, they're out there and they're judging me. They're going to hear everything I do wrong. The honest to God truth is, if you think about it, when you're sitting in the audience, you really just want to hear some good music and you're you're really not there to judge. And most of us anyway are not there to cut down the person. Except in rep class. Oh, yeah, there's Rep class, you're Mm. sitting playing for 25 people going, I could do that better. Yeah. Which is why, yeah. It's the scariest situation. It is for everybody. That's the worst performance situation. Is it saxophone conferences and saxophone rep class and student recitals and all that? That's the hardest. So just know if you get nervous for those, those are the hardest situations. Also auditions because you are being judged. And it's really hard. But if you can... the. You know, if you can get yourself really to just play the music and not think about the fact that you're being judged, good luck with that. But yeah. if you can do that, then you're going to play a lot better. You're yeah. really going to, you're just going to play so much better if you just go and make music and just not worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think singing a line in your head is hugely useful. Yeah. 
and also just doing it more often. Yeah, Train your nervous system to realize that it won't kill you. Because right, if you're terrified of it, it's because you have biological ingrained evolutionary traits yeah. that this is dangerous. There are eyes on me, which evolutionarily speaking, that's yeah, dangerous. We right. don't like that. Right. Um, but if you train, if you do it enough, your nervous system will. Oh, I'm, this isn't life threatening. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've talked a lot students, about yeah. about gigs, right? Mm-hmm. Get out there and perform, and, go and, perform and more and, often. You know, if you get paid, great. If you don't, so what? Just yeah. go just for your own development. Absolutely. You know, just yeah. set up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of auditions yes. and getting nervous, ah, assuming mm. we've conquered it now, having read the Intergaming Music and, and using Sue's advice, <laughs> you, um, someone was talking to you that uh, suggested we talk a little bit about... Yeah, somebody suggested, hey, why don't you guys talk about preparing for the military band auditions that do come up from time to time? Those are really good jobs. Oh, yes. I mean, if you can land one of those, they're lovely jobs. Yeah, and there's a big variety of those kind of jobs. Yeah. So I think um, your friend might have been talking about the premier band jobs, the DC bands. Right. So each of the armed forces has uh, one or more bands stationed in DC. They're premier bands, or they call them DC bands, the names and the nomenclature changes. Yeah. Uh, talking about um, the President's Own, Marine Band is one. Pershing's Own, the Army. The Army Field Band, the the Navy Band. Right. There might be another Navy. I'm not a Navy guy. I don't know. I don't know. And I think there's a Coast Guard Band as well. Um, and there's multiple Air Force bands scattered across the country. Um, they are dynamite jobs. Yeah. Um, and all of them require you to go through that service's basic training. Except... Yeah. The President's Own Marine Band. I didn't know nope. that. The President's Own Marine Band. You not do not that. go through Marine Boot Camp because I don't think many positions <laughs> will take the job. Hey, my brother you went just, through Marine Boot Oh, it's yeah. no joke. Uh, right. So I've heard. I would do not want to know firsthand. So if you, um, for the President's Own Marine Band, when those when those come open, and that's a plum gig. I have yeah. a couple friends that play in there. One of them plays in the jazz combo, so they're constantly playing at the White House. Um, yeah, you know, and, cool. And cool jobs yeah. like that, or at least they, they work. Um. You do have to make weight requirements to get the haircut, but other than that, you're basically just a musician. Um, But the other ones, you do have to go through basic training, Um, and then you just check their website to when they have openings. Yeah, Um, I think you can get on a mailing list, don't you think? I, I don't. I'll check. I don't know. So I now those jobs do not come off open very often anymore because they are highly set off there. There was just a Navy one, and we actually announced that on the podcast. We We put a link. Yep. Um, I don't. No, I don't know who got it. I think it was someone from the University of Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, I'll have to um, check that out. That could have been a really boring dream I had. <laughs> um, I've had, but we had lots of friends that are just dynamite world class players and did not advance. Right, you know, and that happens. That happens, yeah. Um, because these jobs, all you do is play your instrument for a few hours a day. Occasionally, some of them go on tour. The Army Field Band goes on tour a lot. So they tour a little mm. bit. It's a very plum gig. You're living in a cool city. You got plenty oh, of time. Yeah. The pay is excellent. You start at E6 or 7 rank. Uh, for the la- I think it's you start at E7, which is Sergeant First Class, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, in the Army. But it's just really good pay. Yeah. Um, the Bell Health Insurance on Earth. Right. So when you do these open... did you Have you done any of these auditions? I've never done one of the auditions. No. I did an audition. I, I was the finalist for it. the Army Field Band a million years ago. Yeah. And the way that works is some of them have... There's two different types of the DC bands. There's one where they have basically open call where they have a date. You drive up, you sign up, you send your stuff in advance. Wow. Uh, and then you go play with the prepare pieces and then you go through a gauntlet of sight reading and then they will advance beyond there. They'll whittle it down, whittle it down until basically sit in with the section and do some sight reading with the section. Yeah. See if they like you, and then they're not only judging how you play, but are you someone they could call a colleague for twenty years? Right. So don't be a jerk, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
then beyond the DC band, so those, and then there's another type of audition that happens occasionally is where you send a recording. Um, and that's what I did. So I did, a, I think it was, I don't know, one of the army bands, I sent a recording and then they fly you up for yeah. the, just they select a handful of people, fly up and audition for that. And that was an interesting experience. And they basically, once they like your recording, they send you a phone book of music. Oh, to prepare. It wow. was intense. And I got that right before a family vacation. So I was in a beach house oh, practicing geez. marches and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then they fly you up and then you go through the rounds and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, the day I did it, they didn't hire anyone. They said, you were all great players. No thanks. Wow. Uh, which was interesting yeah. because I will absolutely not say names. They didn't want me. I was like, okay, fine. I was pretty young at the time yeah. and I thought I played well. Um, and I was, you know, I was honored just to get that far. Yeah, um, no But some of the other players they didn't say yes to are now kind of prominent university professors. Well, all right then. <laughs> so I so was like, I was thinking like, all right, you don't want me, fine. But man, these some of these other guys and gals right. are really <laughs> like, but you know, it wasn't a good yep, fit. That's that the it, way it goes. That yeah. happens. You don't. Yeah. You just get over it. So those are the DC band jobs. Now. Beyond that, there are also what they call regional or line band jobs. Hmm. So the U.S. Navy also has, oh, I don't know, like nearly a dozen or so other fleet bands, as they call them. And the Army has regional bands all over. They're not as competitive um, because the job is not quite as plumb. Generally, you start around rank E3 or E4, which is a little bit less pay. Um, You still get this great same health benefits, the great vacation. And yeah. that's what I did. I did not win the job, but I had already gone through all the processing to join the army because right. they don't fly you out there unless you can prove you've passed the medical, passed the physical, right. passed so the drug test. I did all that. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, oh, you know what? I'll take this job. So I went out to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, to play in the army band. It was a great job. Yeah. Um, the only difference was the DC bands have support staff, so they don't have to do any work other than music. I actually had a job where I worked in the public affairs office. So I okay. would play music, I would practice, and then I had to design flyers and websites and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Th- which they trained me. And wow. that actually helped me get the job I have. Right. So when, um, huh. yeah, so when my boss needed someone to teach career development and marketing and yeah, all that. Yeah, there you were. I learned it in the army. Right. Granted, everything was camouflage back then. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so those bands are come open much more often. They're easier to get. Not as easy as before. Now there are actually right. people with doctorates in some of these jobs. Oh, because for sure. There's so the many people market. with doctorates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just talked, reached out to some friends that are in the Army Band, in the Navy Band. So the way the Army Band works, there are more posts all over. There are much more variance in the types of jobs they are. The way it works is you go to the website and you fill out an application. And then you will be contacted oh. by an, a band liaison. And someone in the Army Music Program will reach out to you and try to set up an audition if they need your instrument. And it rotates as to if they're short yeah. on this or that and the other. They always seem to have a lot of saxophonists. It's not one of the most needed instruments right. for the Army. Then you reach out, and then if before the audition, they will send you to a local recruiter. Well, you know, like in the strip malls and stuff like that, yeah, where they, yeah. they are. And then you'll have to go through to make sure you qualify physically right. and you are not on drugs and stuff right. like that. Right. And right. the chances are, if you listen to this podcast, high chance you're on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Our listener, no, I'm kidding. Stop we it. love you, dear listener. <laughs> so that's what you do. You go to the website, you fill it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. And then Great information. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the thing. I've had some, of, and be careful of this, I have some students that want nothing more to play in the Army or Navy bands. They love the job. They love the idea of being in the military. Um, and they do four years of music school, then the audition. They get through the process and realize they have an underlying medical condition they were unaware of that prevents them. Oh, wow. So if you if you want to have your heart set on that, do the physical. Yeah, get a physical sooner than later. Sooner rather than later, make sure you You should you do that anyway. They, they can knock you. Well, not just that. They look for certain things that you may not even know that right. could knock you out of the process. 
Um, and they can work with you a little bit if you give them enough time. I had to get a waiver for my vision through the Surgeon General's office because my vision is so bad. Oh, wow. Um, but they let me through because I was like, oh, I'm just going to play the saxophone, so it's just fine. put some glasses um, on. I will say this. So if you do the Army or Navy bands, Air Force bands are a little bit different. They come open even less often, and there's fewer of them. Mm. Army and Navy music programs are big. Um, you do have to go through their boot camp or basic training. Mm-hmm. And this might surprise you, Sue. I didn't mind it. Oh, I don't see why you it would was mind it. Fun. It was a lot I of mean, weeks. It was a couple months. Yeah, hard uh, work, I of missed, course. I missed my wife, but it was I viewed it as... I was Dr. ABD at the time. Oh, yeah. So I had done a lot of grad school, and it was so different. I just kind of let my mind go and enjoy it. Yeah. So I just got... I felt like I was getting paid to have great exercise. Make I was going to say, if you just focus on your physical health for yeah, a little bit. It was yeah. great. And like you didn't learn interesting things. I had never touched well, a yeah. firearm before, and right? I qualified sharpshooter. It was neat. Yeah. I still don't like firearms, but you no, know. No, but it's a good skill. It's good to know what the heck is going on with those things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those things, they're very loud and smelly. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> they're great jobs. Uh, okay. So and then, so that's for the Army Band. You go to the website. If you're interested in joining the Navy Band, I talked to, um, big props to Petty Officer Chris Paston, returned my phone call. Nice. And he said, basically, the way they're doing it now is open rotations, and they're all in their, their, their post or base and in Tennessee, I believe. I think it's Tennessee. And so they rotate. So one month they may have flute auditions. One month they may have trumpet auditions. One month they may have guitar auditions. And he's saying right now they're really in need of not saxophone. Not saxophone. (laughs) They're really looking for more commercial music. So they're looking for drummers, guitarists, bass players, horn players that play more commercial style music. Right. Which you can tell you're dealing with the military when they call it commercial music. Right. (laughs) Uh, He was incredibly nice and said, uh, I said, look, are you even going to have any saxophone auditions or are you up to your eyeballs in saxophone and graduate degrees? And he kind of him and says, I'm not going to say we're up to our eyeballs, but not that much in need. Yeah, there are so a lot of us. You yeah. just you basically bookmark their website and then keep checking to see when if saxophone comes up yeah, in the rotation. If you're interested in these jobs, just keep looking. They're great jobs. And look, yeah. I mean, anything that keeps you playing your instrument, if that's what you want to yeah. do and, and keeps you in shape, you know, I mean, it's great. I, I had tons of time to practice. And actually, the Army Band paid for me to take lessons with my then mentor, Michael Hester. No way. Because he was about an hour away. So they would give me half a day off to drive up to Tucson. I was in Sierra Vista, Arizona, okay, about an hour and a half away. yeah. And they would write a check. My local unit would write a check. And so I would drive up, take lessons. Because it was your professional development. It exactly. was better for the band. It was. It, wow, And anytime I went to a saxophone conference, they would give me time off and sometimes some travel funds. Wow. It was a great job. I highly recommend it. And, and the basic training was... Not like the movies. Number one, they don't swear. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> yeah. there's a very large religious contingent yeah. in the military, and they did not like taking anything yeah. in vain. Right. So it was hilarious because they always say, "Get your doggone self!" And like I was trying not to yeah. laugh because it was right. just hilarious because they don't cuss. <laughs> the other thing is, if a soldier or sailor gets injured, they have to fix you, which is right. expensive and time consuming. Right. So I was really blown away by how safe all the training was. Oh yeah, so, they don't want you to get hurt. No, because then they they, they gotta fix you. The then. drill sergeants get in oh. trouble if you get in hurt. Like it's, if you break a leg or exactly, break an arm, exactly. Because they like have that. to rehabilitate you. They have to pay you while you're getting rehabilitated. So, um, anytime it was raining on an obstacle course, you skipped it. You know, and right. like, and I was really, really impressed with the amount of safety. Interesting. Um, and okay. Because I'm a bit of a worry wart, so I was worried <laughs> that, and it was not a big deal. I made it so, through ages. Yeah. What ages? What's the age cutoff for these things? How old? Yeah, it changes constantly. Right, that's what I thought. I mean, remember at one point thinking when you hit thirty-five, maybe it was forty. During the Iraq War, they went up to like forty-five. Wow. When they really needed people. Yeah. Um, as they are meet their force levels, which they are at force levels now. Gotcha. They're not a huge need. 
Um, they scale back the age, but yeah. I don't know. Okay, that's, so that changes. It's that's surprisingly something old. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was in basic training, some people were like, what are you doing here, Wallace? <laughs> that's Getting great. my loans paid off was the <laughs> right, answer. there you go. <laughs> I'll crawl in the mud with anyone to get my student loans paid off. Yeah. <laughs> really great jobs. I'll put links in the show notes. And, awesome. and huge thanks to Petty Officer Chris Paston, who was kind enough to call me back. Because I have friends in the Army, and I've done the Army, so I knew more about that. Yeah. Um, they have open call, you know, so they'll, when you do go to the audition, when it's your month, you'll download a packet of music. The Army, they'll give you some things to prepare. And what's interesting is there's no true sight reading. What they do is the night before your audition, yeah. they will email you a packet. Or send you a packet. I don't know if it's email or, or like yeah. they overnight it. So you'll have 24 hours or overnight to work on the music, oh, yeah. which really simulates the real well, world. the real world. world working environment. The gigs tomorrow. Yeah. And I just uh, contacted um, Sergeant uh, Robbie Harrison, a guitar player who I used to play with in those uh, coffee house gigs I was just yeah, talking about. Yeah, right. Uh, and he talked me the audition process. Basically, it's a lot of prepared stuff. You're going to play marches. You can play some swing and some jazz. Right. Um, you'll have a prepared piece where you play something like the Creston Sonata, the right. Bear, or something like that. So you're going to do some classical and jazz. And then the sight reading and the army audition is actually you get the night before to look at it. Nice. To kind of stimulate real world Yep. work environment which yep. I think is awesome that's awesome uh, and if you have that's a question about military because I teach career development so I'm not constantly but quite regularly encouraging students to take a look at it and when they have questions I help guide them through this feel free to email me wally at gates eddie sacks and I can put you in touch with uh, some of these cool people I've been talking to awesome yeah so Sue you're going to join the marines I'm too old <laughs> Ooh, Ross, ooh. I know, right? Age is, age is just a number. <laughs> it sounds great. Yeah, it's yeah, a good, it's a good job. Great. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I think we should go practice. What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go practice. Yeah, yeah. So book club, we will see you in a couple weeks. In the meantime, yeah. read Zen and the Art of Archery. Do it. And have a great beginning of fall, everyone. Yeah, happy back to school. Yay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>